and Sarah right. and Eric are my new neighbors. Oh, yeah. Seriously? How cool. Yeah. That's a God thing, too. That is. For sure. It's just so fun to watch uh, the way God works in and through our lives. And um, we need to acknowledge that Amen. when we Amen. see that happening. Amen. Amen. For sure. Now, last week, uh, you'll remember in uh, Hebrews 10.29 that we were uh, exposed to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. And as we dig into that a little bit deeper uh, this week, we read where the prophets Zechariah and Isaiah both say and reveal the Holy Spirit as a spirit of grace and intercession as he is resting on the Son who is our mediator and our advocator with the Father. The Father in heaven begat the Son through the Holy Spirit and sent Jesus to the world. The Holy Spirit appears many, many times throughout the Bible. Uh, turn with me to uh, the first instance where this happened, Genesis 1, verse 1. And before anybody asks, yes, that's in the Old Testament. Genesis 1, 1. This morning's uh, message is, is about the titles of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so we're in Genesis 1.1, it reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Think on this. In the beginning, and God created all things, and we see right away in this first two verses that the Spirit of God was moving. We think on this. Um, we think, and maybe it's, we begin to see and understand that God is revealing himself in the form of the Godhead right away, right away. And as you read through the rest of chapter 1 and 2, you see some more um, exposure to this, this mysterious fact about God, about the Holy Spirit. We tend to think that the Holy Spirit came only on the day of Pentecost. And just like we kind of wrongly think about Jesus while he was born, in other words, he was created when he was born. We, we need to get this understanding of eternity into place and the Godhead into place. Uh, later on in Scripture, we see how the psalmist declares, you sent forth your spirit and they are created. Uh, even later, Isaiah is questioned by God, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him. 
With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him the way of understanding? You know, if we were to think about it, we're probably guilty of uh, saying, oh, I did. You know, we want to tell God how to be God. But in the scriptures, we see that all created things shrink to being minuscule in comparison with the Creator. When the Lord God, by His Spirit, made the world, none directed His Spirit. Nobody told God, here's what you do, here's how you do it. Or gave Him advice on how to do it. Well, God, I don't know if you want to make those uh, humans. They're going to give you a lot of trouble. And uh, the nations, likewise, the nations, in comparison to God, are as a drop of water compared with the vast ocean. So we begin to see this magnifies the bigness, the greatness of God, the depth, the height, the breadth, the width. And then when we grab that perspective, this magnifies even further God's love for the world, such that even though it's small in comparison to him, he sent his one and only son to redeem the world, to um, come into the world and, and make the sacrifice that was necessary that we can have eternity with him And presently, in today's world, in our life today, he is the Holy Spirit. And he is the one who dwells in us. He connects us to Jesus, who connects us to God. If we think on this, this is amazing. This is amazing. It's about God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And he reaches out and he grabs us. And if we will say yes and... Yes, Lord. He brings us back to the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force that cannot be defined or identified. And if we were to think about it, we catch ourselves sometimes when we speak about the Holy Spirit... We might even see some of these concepts coming out. And so today's message is to really just kind of bring our our thoughts and understanding towards what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. He doesn't have a physical body, so he's not a physical person. He's a divine person. And his His personhood is well described in Scripture. And I'm hoping after today you'll come to see that and pay attention to it as you're reading through Scripture. The Holy Spirit's presence is often manipulated or faked, however. The veracity of His presence and His activity is easily fact-checked in Scripture. So, 
We can't say, well, I can't discern if that's really the Holy Spirit or not, because we can go back to Scripture and see, you know, that the Holy Spirit has revealed Himself in such a way that we can measure it in the physical realm. Yeah, that sounds like the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit. Um, he's revealed himself with precedence in Scripture, and in this present-day presence, he reveals himself in his will in our daily life. Are you, are you in tune with that? Are you aware of that? I mean, he's there in us and with us every day, every place we go. So it's not like he shows up in our life just once a week on Sunday mornings miraculously. And the Holy Spirit does not act out of character. And that's kind of my point of why we can um, check with Scripture to see if this conforms with the revealed character of the Holy Spirit. There's another thing about the Holy Spirit. It has pronouns. Nobody got that joke? It's okay, you can laugh. They have pronouns. Yeah. He and holy, not it, not she, her, mother, they, or them. He is a divine person. He has titles. And these titles reflect an emphasis of his presence and his activity. <coughs> his title describes his role in our life. And these are listed in Scripture, as you read through Scripture, you're going to come across these. We, we came across one last week in Hebrews 10, 29, where we insult the Spirit of grace through our unbelief. Some of the other titles that are mentioned in Scripture are One Spirit, Seven Spirits, The Lord, Eternal Spirit, Spirit of Glory, Spirit of Life, Spirit of Holiness, Holy Spirit, Holy One, Spirit of Wisdom, Spirit of Understanding, Spirit of Counsel, Spirit of Knowledge, Spirit of Strength, Spirit of the Fear of the Lord, Spirit of the Truth, and Spirit of Supplication. Next slide. I'm sorry? Supplication. Supplication. Um, that's a good question. I had to look that one up too. It's like a plea, isn't it? It's, it's what? Plea. Yeah. In other words, he's making it possible where we can go to him. We can plea. We can cry out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you think of the word supple, the root word supple, you know, it's soft, open, ready to hear. He's making himself available. Yeah. 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 The action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Great. Great. Did, did you hear that? Yeah, okay. I never really understood this one, but what about Holy Ghost? Uh, same? Yeah. yeah. I never kind of quite thought that. Well, ghost and ghost, spirit. Uh, yeah. It's kind of trivial, and it may just be a grammatical thing, but John and I were actually of one mind, so I'll bring it up. 
was kind of wondering why do we often put the in front of Holy Spirit? Like, I noticed Hildy says Holy Spirit. It's very common to say the Holy Spirit, but I mean, it, we don't we don't say the Jesus or you know like so why why do we say the Holy Spirit instead of like just Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's a, it's a function of English because we do say the Son, we do say the Father. I guess that's <laughs> um, but your point is we don't have to put that. Right. I think in it's front. more we relational. Say Holy Spirit. Or, yeah. 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 Um, my my uh, hang up on that is it. Calling the Holy Spirit it. Sure. And, and that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. He's not an it. Okay. So turn with me to Ephesians 4. Chapter 4, or chapter 4, verse 4. Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So I said earlier that one of his titles is One Spirit. So we cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Godhead. He makes up the Godhead with the Father, or just Father, and the Son, I mean, and Son. I'm just pulling your leg. I wasn't trying to correct, I was just asking. Um, he is only one spirit. In other words, he has one factual description found in Scripture. And he therefore isn't multiple spirits. In other words, he's not a different spirit for each different religion on the earth. He is one spirit. And he takes us to one place, to one Father, with one baptism, one faith. We, we can't have all gone into different kinds of faith and still go to the Father. There's one. He's not going to lead people to a false God or no God at all. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He's not an independent entity either. Uh, he's not going to be out doing things that are different than what the Father and the Son do and say. And it's this divine unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that um, creates unity that gives us the one hope, one faith and one baptism. And this is why we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are many uh, wrong teachings out there that say, no, 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 that's not right. You only baptize in the name of the Father, or only the, the Son, or only the Spirit. No, Scripture is very clear. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
because that defines God and who he is. Let's see if I can bring us a little confusion here. Turn with me to <laughs> Revelation 1. Actually, I'm hoping it'll be a confusion into clarification. <coughs> Ephesians, or Revelation 1. Did I say Ephesians? No, Revelation. Okay, Revelation 1. So you're already confusing. <laughs> Start with myself first. <coughs> Revelations 1 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Wait a minute. Seven spirits? What is all this about? How did this come about? I thought we just said one spirit. What are these seven spirits that Scripture is talking about? Uh, it's repeated. So this is not like a mistake or contradiction. Um, move down to verse 20 in chapter 1. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. And as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Uh, moving down to Revelation 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who is the seven spirits of God... And the seventh star says this. And then move down to chapter 4, verse 5. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire before, burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Wow, this is, there's something to be learned here. It keeps repeating it. And then uh, finally in chapter 5, verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Here it is again, which are the seven spirits of God. How did this all come about? Well, turn back with me to Isaiah 11. So if you go to Psalms, about the middle of the Bible, go to your right a couple of books, you're going to hit Isaiah. Isaiah 11. My translation actually uses the seven, sevenfold spirit. Uh-huh. That's uh, what we're coming to understand here. Are you there? Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him... This is speaking of the Messiah to come. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So these, these are the seven spirits that's being referred to, that Jesus is referring to in Revelation. And I don't know, when we first run into this, it seems a little confusing, but really... Uh, what this is helping us understand is the perfection 
the completeness and the omnipresence of God. Next slide. So these, these seven spirits, and in Adrian's translation, maybe the one you're using, it uses the word sevenfold. So it, it communicates uh, the fullness of the spirit, not that there's seven different Holy Spirits around out there that we got to figure out. It's all attributes and characters of the one spirit. And it is then describing this Holy Ghost in his perfect fullness. And why seven? Seven is that sacred number. We see it time and time again in Scripture. We just read a bunch of sevens in Revelation. Seven is a number reflecting completeness, wholeness, perfection. So this is not a contradiction in the Godhead and one spirit. It's simply a conveyance of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So in these verses, we see the power, the sovereignty, and the authority of God, the unity of the Godhead, and that he has sent, has been sent into all the earth. We witness his infinite power, in other words, God's infinite power through the Holy Spirit, who is able to convict us of sin and of hollow profession. So the Holy Spirit knows if we've made a hollow profession of Jesus, and I'm not saying that to make anybody question their salvation. Uh, but remember how we uh, read back some time ago in Romans 8.15, where uh, our spirit confirms with his spirit that we're his, that we belong. I mean, how do you know that you're a Christian? If you start telling me all the things, you, good things you do, I'm going to cut you off. Because it's a heart thing. It's a spirit thing. We know that we know that we know. You, nobody can tell you otherwise. You just know because God's Spirit has confirmed with your spirit. So the Spirit of God, we read in Isaiah 11, rests on the Son, being fully part of the Son, yet able to be at other places at the same time. That's called omnipresence. In Colossians 2.9 it says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. This is critical. This is a critical doctrine of Christianity. That Jesus is God. Jesus came from God. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's God in the flesh. And so when we read this, we now begin to understand the connection of the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling also in Christ. Other titles reflect who the Holy Spirit is. He is eternal, full of glory, full of life. Without him, there would be no life. We just read that in Genesis 1. He is holy. We acknowledge this when we call him by one of his pronouns, Holy Spirit. He is wise in counsel. 
He is from he is the one from whom we should seek wisdom and counsel. And if you are seeking wisdom and counsel from a brother or sister, you should sense the words and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work through people to administer these things. And he gives us understanding and knowledge. So here's a, a major point of this uh, description of his titles. His titles are the root of doctrine. So we're introduced to this divine person, the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, meet Helene. And Helene, meet the Holy Spirit. We all of a sudden, we, we start to learn, well, Spirit and Holy, Holy Spirit. So these titles lead us into doctrine and teaching and express in just a short word, great things. God said through Peter, be holy for I am holy. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to be like him. His character as revealed by the spoken and the written word. And this is where we look for guidance on how to become like him. He wants us to know him. Look at all of the effort he's gone to cause us to know him. To revere him, to fear him. But don't get it wrong, we don't become him. The key word here is like. We, we become like him, we model him. Um, so this title, the titles come first with the teaching and doctrine following that fills in our understanding. We cannot give an attribute or title to the Holy Spirit that we cannot also give to God. So we cannot give to God or Holy Spirit titles that haven't been revealed. And too often we do. We want to make up a Holy Spirit that is under our description, under our control, does what we say. And that's a great error. Maybe the most basic title is holy. The Holy Spirit. Turn with me to uh, Matthew one twenty. So Isaiah eleven connects directly to this Matthew one twenty. You're familiar with this. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> conceived of the Holy Spirit conveys an awful lot, doesn't it? If you think about it, you just slow down and think about it. The Holy Spirit gives life. He can procreate life. He has immense power. 
He can do it without permission, aid, or counsel. He uses humans to carry out some of his plans. And the Holy Spirit did not operate alone as he is the Spirit of God. And he conceived the Son in the flesh. The Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Back in Isaiah 6.3, God is saying to um, Isaiah, and Isaiah is agreeing and prophesying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We cannot say we never ran into God, that we never knew him, that we never heard of him. Uh, again, later in Isaiah, says, And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. So God, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is declaring his holiness. The chapter in Isaiah. That's uh, 39.7. Thank you. And in today's world, when we look at world politics and activities... This, this scripture becomes just a little more powerful. And we know that as time goes on, the nations are identified as being part of God's coming day of the Lord. Um, in heaven, when John was writing down this revelation of Jesus Christ, he heard, he saw, the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. That's like as expansive as the two-word phrase, I am. Wow. I mean, how can God summarize things up in just a couple words? It's amazing. So my question of us today is, have we, as his people, forgotten this attribute of him? Holy. Holy. No, he is holy, and he wants us to be holy. What is holy? It is defined as properly, whole, entire, or perfect, in a moral sense. Therefore, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin and sinful affections. Wow. That's a tall order. And when he says, be ye holy, it's, it's more, more than we can do. It's not so much what we do. It's, it's what we are, what we become from a spiritual birth and transformation and sanctification over time. We are set apart to be holy. We are set apart from the kingdom of darkness from the world to be holy. We're, we are appointed to a holy... Um, sacred religious use. In other words, we are vessels 
containing the Spirit of God, and we are set apart for a purpose, for things that He has planned for us to do. So, when you're getting to do, going to do something, and maybe you're having a hesitation because you're wondering, should I do this or should I not do this? Or maybe you did something and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is uh, catching your attention. The question we should ask is, is this holy? Does this describe holy? And if not, just quickly confess it to the Lord. And then repent. Let us go and sin no more. Holy is applied to the supreme being. Holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. Again, we don't have that in and of ourselves. We only have it because of Christ. Because of Christ's blood, God sees us as if we were perfectly holy, even though we're not. But, but that's how it's sees us. So, because of this, we all go through life, this process of life, being sanctified. What does sanctified mean? It means being made holy. And it doesn't happen in one day. <laughs> and we are made holy at the hands of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't, we can't do it on our own. No matter how much we try. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do we be holy? If we're, if we're to be holy, how do we be holy? Well, just to pull some points out of the message, we live a life set apart from the world of false gods. Simple to understand, but it requires some decision-making. You know, you have to discern when you're being presented with the false belief, the false God, um, and you have to be able to say no. In the name of Jesus, no. Uh, number two, we interact with God in his completeness through the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You see what I mean? Um, we can't just interact with the Father. In fact, Jesus says, you have to go through him first. Right. And we don't get to Jesus if the Spirit doesn't draw us there. Right. So we have to go through this completeness of God. So the third one is, to be holy means that we can carry out the commands of Jesus as we are led by the Spirit, <coughs> focusing on the Father in heaven, who is our Father. That's how we be holy. Too often, we are told, we are given man's rules, traditions, and philosophies. You must do this in order to demonstrate that you're holy. But it's a heart thing. It's a spirit thing. It comes from within, where the Holy Spirit dwells. All right, praise God. Let's uh, gather around and pray for one another. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.